for those of you who haven't been with us, we are in 2 Timothy this whole semester. Uh, and just quick uh, summary. Uh, there's a guy named Paul who used to be Saul that, uh, that God appeared to him and, and, and asked him why, why Saul was persecuting him. Saul was killing Christians didn't believe in Christianity at all, was killing people for that. And then God appears before him and, and asks why he is persecuting him. And, uh, and Saul, he changes his name to Paul, um, and his life is different ever since then. And he, his whole goal after that is to tell as many people as possible who Jesus is, um, the power that's in Jesus, and, and what Jesus came to do. And, and so... He is, he went on lots of different, um, went to lots of different places on these missionary journeys, setting up churches, telling people about who Christ is, leaving people in charge of those places, uh, and then going on to another town, another town, another town, and then leaving more people in charge of all those places. Uh, A guy named Timothy that he uh, went through some of that with, and then Timothy is now in charge of, of a place in Ephesus. Uh, the church in Ephesus, he is writing back to him uh, this letter um, and trying to encourage him. And, and when Paul is writing this, he's about to die. He is in prison for telling people about Christ. Uh, and then he's about to die for that. Uh, he knows that is coming up soon. And so Timothy is a guy he spent a ton of time with, the guy that you would say he discipled, uh, told him about Christ, showed him how to live it out, uh, how to live out his life for Christ. And uh, and so he's writing to Timothy these things that he, that he wants him to know before he dies uh, that are the most important. And so uh, we've been through a lot of different things right now uh, as we've been talking through this and we're talking through suffering and those kind of things. Um, tonight we're talking about opposition and, and overcoming opposition specifically. And so it starts right off. So if, you, if there's Bibles in front of you if you need it or, uh, or if you have your own. But we'll be in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Uh, and we're just going to do it in the first nine verses tonight. So 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 9. Um, and, and so Timothy starts, or, or Paul starts to Timothy in this section. He says, but understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. Um, and if you weren't here, if you don't remember what we're coming off of from, from last week, or the last time that we were together, uh, he was talking to Timothy about about handling the word of God accurately and handling truth accurately um, and how important that is. And then he goes into this section about opposition. And, and he says, but understand this, and this is 2 Timothy 3.1, but understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. Uh, and in the last days there, he's talking about uh, the days before Jesus comes back because Jesus has ascended into heaven already and, and Jesus has promised that he's going to come back to to get his people, the people that, that believe in him and, and follow him. And so one day Christ is going to come back uh, and, and then this world will be done and then everybody will be, everybody will know who Christ is and those who have believed in him and, and have been following him will be with him forever. Uh, and those who, who haven't, they'll be separated from him forever. And so the last days are the days before Christ comes back. And because nobody knows when that is exactly, the last days cover a, a long period of time, of course, because we're, we're, we're still not sure. It could be tomorrow. It could be 
years and years from now. And so um, the last days are just this, this time period in life before Christ comes back. Uh, he says, but understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. He doesn't say there might be some things that are difficult. There, might be, there may be some difficulty in your life. Um, and again, he's specifically talking to Timothy, a follower of Christ, and to other believers that he's going to read this to, other followers of Christ. And he's saying that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. So first point of tonight, opposition will come. doesn't matter who you are. doesn't matter um, who you are. If you are choosing to live your life for Christ, opposition will come at you. You will have opposition in your life if you are choosing to live your life for Christ. There will be opposition. Jesus divides people. You start talking about Jesus and you'll see division. You can talk about God. You can talk about spiritual things. You can talk about religion and believing in different spiritual things. You can talk about spirituality. But the second you start talking about Jesus, people start getting divided. And so if you don't believe me, just start a conversation about Jesus tomorrow, right? At school. Uh, people are divided on that. Jesus divides people. Luke 12, 51 through 53. I think we might have it for you to look at too. Um, Luke 12, 51 through 53 says this. Do you think I have come to bring peace? This is Jesus talking. Do you think I have come to bring peace to the earth? No, I've come to divide people against each other. From now on, families will be split apart, three in favor of me and two against, or two in favor and three against. Father will be divided against son, son against father, mother against daughter, daughter against mother, and mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. And so the point that Jesus is making, Jesus is also in the Bible, his name, is the, the, he's referred to as the Prince of Peace. So he is, and he does bring peace. But the point that he was making there in that context of that, those verses was, that his name and following him will cause division. That if you really choose to follow Christ, it will cause division in your life. Like if you really choose to follow him, you really choose to live this thing out, it will cause division not only between you and other friends, that's probably one of the quickest things that will happen, um, but even maybe between you and family members, and, and he lists these son against father, mother against daughter, those kind of things. That if you start following Christ fully in your life, there will be division. Because there's no middle ground um, in this. There's living for Christ and not living for Christ. There's no middle. There's no like, well, I'm kind of in between. Uh, because it, this is, if you follow Christ and you are living for Christ, then you get to eternally be with him forever. If you are not, then you are eternally separated from him when the end of this life happens. And so there's no middle. And I think that's what, what Jesus is trying to, the point he's trying to make here. There's no middle ground. It's not like, well, I like some of this, and so I'm, I'm going to follow some of these rules because I think that's kind of cool, and, and that'll probably make me a little bit better if I can follow some of this stuff, but I'm not really going to give my life to that. Uh, there's no middle. You're either for him or against him. And this idea of a, of a happy middle ground is, is a lie. Uh, and so division will come when you are following Christ, and opposition will come. There will be people that don't agree with you, and they will let you know it. Opposition will come. It doesn't say it might come. It will come. And then he goes in these next verses that we're going to look at and, and he gives us an idea of what this opposition will look like. So if I'm following Christ, if I'm, if I'm sold out to that, then, then, I'm, then I'm, you're saying I'm going to have opposition. What does that opposition look like? He gives us 18 characteristics. Second uh, Timothy verses, or chapter 3, verses 2 through 5. He goes into this list of what the opposition will look like. He says, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, 
ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. And it says, avoid such people. So that's a really uplifting list of characteristics, right? Uh, so what does the opposition look like? Well, there'll be, the opposition will be people that love self, money, pleasure more than they love God instead of loving God. Lovers of self, lovers of money, lover, lovers of pleasure. Uh, they will hate good things. They will hate good things. Uh, there'll be people that think too highly of themselves. If you look at, in that list of things, how many of those fit in this category? They, there'll be people that think too highly of themselves. They will love themselves too much. They will be boastful which means they'll have a false view of their own importance, um, a false idea of how important they really are. They'll be unholy, which means not set apart for God, but they live for themselves. They won't have any self-control. They'll just do whatever they want, whenever they want. They'll be conceited or puffed up, uh, full of themselves. That's where you get that, that idea of full of themselves. And then they also, not only will they think too highly of themselves and love all these things other than God, they will also have no regard for other people. So look at the, in, the, in that list, the ones I put under that category, no regard for other people. Arrogant, which means looking down on other people. So not just be talking a ton about yourself, but also looking down on other people. Uh, revilers, that, that's one, one of the uh, words in one of the, the, the translations that I saw. It just means speaking evil and abusive things. Speaking evil and abusive things. They'll be disobedient to parents. Ooh. Uh, none of you are that way, I'm sure. Disobedient to parents, uh, and just the idea that no one is going to be the boss of me, right? Um, they'll be ungrateful. They'll be so focused on themselves that they don't see what others do in them and around them. Um, they'll be unloving, so just a lack of affection for the people around them, just callous to other people and what's going on in other people's lives. They'll be irre irreconcilable, which is hostile to others um, with no compromise. So they're just people that are constantly starting drama, uh, which, funny enough, Whenever you see somebody that says, like, I don't know why drama just follows me. Maybe you're the cause of it, you know? Just a thought. Um, there's a reason it's following you around. Uh, so irreconcilable, hostile to others, always causing drama with other people. Here's another good one. Malicious gossip, gossips. Not just gossips, malicious gossips. It means they talk crap about a ton of people. And they, they, they make up things or they... They make up lies about people or they just perpetuate those lies that have already been made up about other people and they just keep them going. They talk about other people all the time. Brutal, which is, when you look that up, it means uncivilized, uh, savage. Uh, treacherous means they betray other people. They're traitors. And then, and then the last one under this list, reckless. They don't think about or care about the consequences of their actions. They just do things without thinking about what it's going to do to other people. And then the other big category in here, it, it says they oppose the truth. The, the opposition, these people that are on the opposition will oppose the truth. And it says they have corruptive or, or corrupted or depraved minds. Um, and then there's in verse, one of the, the verses, eight, I think it's eight or nine. Um, in verse eight, it says... Uh, that they're rejected in regard to the faith, which means, basically means this, that, that even though some of these people would probably say that they are Christians, 
These people, this idea of, of this, this false godliness that it talks about in here, the appearance of godliness but denying its power, that they would probably say that they are believers. They would say that they are Christians. But this is how their life looks, uh, and they're not actually followers of Christ. They may call themselves Christians, but they're not really following Christ. And so think about that. Think about that list. Look at that list from those verses 2 through 5, that list that I just read through. If I think about that list and I think about your life, where you're at right now, your greatest opposition to faith and living for Christ, your greatest opposition to faith and, and following Christ and living that out, very well may be your friends. When you look at that list, look at that list of characteristics again. Does this describe the friends that you hang out with? Do you have the people that you hang out with, uh, do they love themselves, love money, love pleasure, love, love those things more than God? Do they... Are they talking about themselves all the, all the time? Do they think too highly of themselves? Do they have no regard for other people? Are they looking down on other people all the time? Are they constantly gossiping about other people? Are they causing drama in other people's lives? Do they have a lack of affection for the people around them? And, and, and before I go any further, I'm not talking about like one time or a couple times here and there. Because we, at one point, we all do these things on this list, Right? You will sin, you will mess up, and I'm not talking about like, hey, I do this like on occasion. I'm saying like, if you looked at this list, and this describes those people, and this is how they are most of the time, that's what I'm talking about. The opposition is people that this is what they're living for. They're living for these things. They're not trying to get closer to God. They're not trying. Um, and so here's where, where it's difficult, though, where it's tricky, is that some people may say they are trying to get closer to God. Some people may say that they are Christians and are followers of Christ, yet their life still looks like this list more often than not. So this list of things, like constantly disobedient to parents, constantly ungrateful for everything, constantly unloving, constantly gossiping about people, constantly betraying people's trust. This, this scripture is what we're reading. Truth says this is, this is the opposition. And so if this is the opposition, then, then the opposite of those things are what followers of Christ look like. I think that's fair to say. And, and, it, and not only that, if you wanted to look through uh, in 1 Timothy chapter 3 or in Titus chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus chapter 1, they have, uh, we studied these a couple semesters ago. Um, it has a list of qualifications for leaders in the church. And when you look at that list, it's basically the opposite of this list. Um, and so it describes, like, if you are following Christ, your life will look more like this. And, and again, my life doesn't look exactly like that list all the time. But I guarantee you that my life looks more like that list than this list that I just read. And, and that's not just, you can ask people that are in my life that see me regularly. You can ask my wife who sees more of me than anybody else. So if, if, those things that I just said are the opposition, and that describes the opposition. Uh, then the opposite of that list are, are these things. Lovers of God over everything. That I love God more than I love anything else. That I don't t think too highly of myself. That there are people that don't think too highly of themselves. They know life is not about them. They love what is good. They love what, what is good. They boast in Christ alone, just like that song that we just sang. They boast in Christ alone and not in themselves. They know that apart from Christ that they are nothing. They're self-controlled. 
They're humble. They don't look down on other people. Instead of tearing people down, they're, they're encouragers. They build people up. They're obedient to their parents. And I know that doesn't happen like all day, every day, but for the most part, they're obedient to their parents. They're grateful, which means they're, they're thankful for what other people do. And they acknowledge that. They're loving. They care deeply for other people. They're peaceable. Instead of tearing people apart and causing division all the time, they bring others together uh, and, they, and they bring peace in the midst of relationships. They're not gossips, so they don't talk badly about other people behind their backs. They handle conflict immediately, so when there is something that's said about them, they go to the, that person who said it, and they talk to that person right away and handle their business. And they do that in a loving way. They don't, like, cuss them out or anything. Uh, they're kind. They're civilized. They have courtesy towards other people. They're trustworthy. They don't betray other people. They, you can trust in them. And then the last one, they're prudent, which means they're self-controlled and sensible. It means they, they think about the possible consequences before they act. So you think about that list, okay? Think about that list. Lovers of God over everything. They don't think too highly of themselves. They're humble. They're, they boast in Christ alone. They encourage people. They're obedient to their parents. They're grateful. They're loving. They're peaceable. They're not gossips. gossips. They're trustworthy. They think before they act. Do your friends, or do you even, do you look more like that list on a daily basis, or do you look more like this other list of lovers of self, lovers of money, lovers of pleasure, loving themselves too much, think, thinking more highly of, the, of yourself than you ought to? Because what Scripture is saying, what it seems to be saying to me, is that if, I, if my life looks more like that first list in, in, this, in 2 Timothy here, and in and, and less like the opposite of that, then I'm probably not a follower of Christ. But if it looks more like that, that second list, then that's more of, more of who I am. That's more of, uh, I'm probably a follower of Christ if that's what my life looks like. And so it doesn't matter what I say. We, we've talked about this before in here. I can talk to you all day about how much I love something, Right? Pick anything. I can tell you all day about how much I love what? Um, throw something out there. What? Beards? Yes. I can tell you all day how much I love beards, right? Uh, that one's a little bit more difficult. Some people can't grow, some people can't grow one. Uh, so let's say, some favorite food. What's your favorite food? Pizza. Pizza. So I can tell you all day about how much I love Little Caesar's pizza. And that's my favorite pizza in the world. And I think it's the best pizza. Hey, this is a hypothetical. Okay, Papa John's, because that's actually my favorite. Let's say Papa John's, because it is my favorite. But I could tell you all day long about how much I love Papa John's pizza. I love the smell of it. I love the taste of every, like, this is my favorite kind of pizza. I love it, I love it, I love it. I can talk about it. I can wear Papa John's t-shirts. I can have Papa John's scented cologne. Uh, and so that when you walk up to me, that's what you smell. I mean, it'd just be like rubbing the pizza box all over me. Probably is all it would take. Um, so I can have all those things, right? And I can talk about it, talk about it, talk about it, talk about it, even wear shirts and do those kind of things. But what's, what's the best way for you to, to, to know and trust that I actually love Papa John's pizza? To, to see me like eating it, right? To see me like actually eating Papa John's pizza. And if I had a chance to pick between any kind of pizza... Like, that I would choose that. And if you see that over and over, that I continue to choose that, and you look at it over the course of my life, 
Because again, I could eat that one time, and that still doesn't quite tell you that, right? But I could eat it over and over and over and over, and like when, that, when I get the choice of pizza, if that's the first thing I'm going to go to, and my wife will tell you that if it's just up to me and me alone, that is the pizza that I'll pick. Like, sometimes I'm like, you just going to eat your own thing tonight? And I'm like, crossing my fingers, like, hopefully she is, because then that means I'm going to go get a Papa John's pizza, you know? Because uh, she can't stand it. Um, and so, here's how that, <laughs> enough about pizza. Uh, here's how that translates, is that same thing with Christ. You can talk about Christ, you can wear t-shirts, you can wear a cross on your chain around your neck. You can do all those things. But if you're not like selling your life out to that, if you're not actually following him, if you're not hearing his word and then doing what it says, then you're just faking it. You have a appearance of godliness, but you're denying the power that's really there. And so there are people that are very religious, and they would say, like, I go to church all the time. I'm at church on Sundays, and I'm at church on Wednesdays, and maybe I even pray. That still does not say that I'm a follower of Christ. Those things are, those things are not bad. Don't get me wrong. Those things are good things. And those are all things that I do. But that alone is not what, what makes me a follower of Christ. That's not what shows that. It's me continuing to know the word, understand the word, and apply the word in my life. And when you look at my life, if it lines up with these things that are in Scripture. And to see that, you have to, like, you have to know somebody. You have to know what's going on. Here's the example of, he gives of, of opposition. So he, he, not only, he tells us these characteristics about the opposition, but then he goes on and he gives us this example. He says, just as Giannis and Yambres, I think they were Hispanic. Um, no, they're Egyptian, actually. Um, so that's probably not exactly how you pronounce it. Uh, just as they opposed Moses, this is verse 8. Verse 8 and 9. Just as they opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth. Men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. So the illustration, he gives us an illustration of the opposition in these two guys. These two guys, you may not recognize those names, but here, maybe this picture will help. I think we have a picture of it. If you've ever seen Prince of Egypt, which I love, uh, it's a story of who? Prince of Egypt. Moses, okay, and he is uh, trying to set the people free from Egypt, right? You know that Old Testament story. Well, there's these two guys, and they actually have different names in the movie, which um, is funny, not biblical. Um, these two guys are, and in, in Scripture, actually, the, the, what we have and how they're referred to is if you go to Exodus chapter 7, um, it's the, the magicians and so when, when Moses and Aaron go up to Pharaoh and they say, let my people go, and he says no, and then God tells Aaron, the first thing he tells him to do is what? Throw what down on the ground? Your staff. Throw your staff down on the ground, and what does it turn into? A snake. But then in Scripture it says there's these magicians from Egypt that what do they do? They do the exact same thing. They throw their staffs on the ground, and they turn into snakes too. And they say, see, we can do that. But then... The kind of trump of that one is then Aaron's snake eats the other two. Uh, and so, so he's like, okay, Pharaoh doesn't believe them because of that. So he, they turn staffs into snakes. And then the blood, the water of the Nile River gets turned into blood. And then they show like they have a little bowl of water and they can turn it into blood too. And so again, they're trying to show Pharaoh, you don't really have to believe this guy and trust this guy and set these people free, these people of Israel. You don't have to set them free. You can keep them as your slaves um, and so Moses and Aaron are trying to set these people free like God showed them and told them to do. 
these magicians keep coming up against them and they can do some of the things that they do in the, in the power of God, in the power of God that Aaron and Moses are doing, these guys have some power too and they can do it. And so then the first plague is frogs and so they call up Moses or, and Aaron are able to call up frogs and they are a plague of frogs everywhere but these two magicians show that they can do the same thing and they call up frogs and they can do that too. And then, then their power stops there. The next one is gnats and, and, and fl- or flies or whatever and so they do that one and then the, the magicians try to do it and they can't. And then every plague after that they're not able to do. So these are the guys and, and the reason that their names aren't in the Old Testament, the reason that their names are here, uh, like how do you know it's those two guys, how do you know those two names, if you, you can look all that up on your own but, uh, but basically quick version of that, you can trust me or not trust me and look it up on your own. Um, is that through Jewish culture, through oral tradition and Jewish culture and other Jewish manuscripts that have been passed down, that, that those are the two names given to those two men. The names of those men aren't important. The, the, the illustration of who those people are is important. Because what is, what is he trying to show us in that? These are, this is Paul's illustration of opposition. So why do I think that's important? Why is that illustration important? Or what does that illustration tell us? Well, it tells us that these people are dangerous and they're tricky. We, call, we tell our kids to look out for tricky people. Um, they're dangerous and they're tricky people that oppose the truth and they can mislead people. And you also see in this illustration that he uses that they can have some power. They can, ha- they can have some things in their life that makes them look like there's godliness in their life. These guys had power to do these miracles that the same miracles that Moses and Aaron were doing. And so they had some power. But then you also see that their power is limited. They could, they could match those, those miracles one by one until like the third one, and then the rest, then there's, there's like seven more, right? And they can't do any of those. And so their power is limited, but it is important to know that they had some power. They had some, because that, that's what makes it really tricky. That's what was convi- helping convince Pharaoh the first several times, I'm sure. He was like, well, so what? That he turned his staff into the snake, and, and my magicians can do the same thing. And so why would I do anything against, why, why, would I, why would I be afraid of your God if these guys can do the same thing? So, I think some of the important things to know in there, that there's people that are going to try to mislead us, there's people that oppose the truth and can mislead us, and, and that it's not as cut and dry, we talk about this all the time in here. The devil doesn't just show up with like, he looks red and he has horns and he has a pitchfork, and, and then you're like, oh, obviously I'm going to stay away from that. Uh, it's very subtle. It's like the things that we've been talking about lately, like those phrases, like, God will never give you more than you can handle. That sounds really good. And it, and it, but it's a little bit off, and when you look at it more, it's actually a lot of it off. Uh, but the reason that it's, it's dangerous and it's tricky is because it, it kind of looks like and sounds like truth. But it's not. And so, these, this, this people that can oppose us can have some power, but, but also know that ultimately they will never have the power that God himself has. So if that's what opposition is and that's what opposition looks like, here's, here's the question like, how does it matter to you, right? How does it matter to me? How do I overcome that? If I know what it looks like, it's still not telling me how I overcome that. We're going to look at verses 6 and 7 here. Verses 6 and 7 says, For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning but never able to arrive to the knowledge of the truth. So at first it sounds kind of weird maybe, but here's why I'm going to point out these two verses. 
It's giving us specific people that were captivated and led astray by these men. So what are the characteristics of these people that were led astray? What, what can we learn from them? So these women, and it's saying weak women just because um, they allowed these things to happen. Uh, it's not calling all women weak. Um, so he says, how, so how are these women captivated and led astray by these false teachers, by, these, by the opposition? The first one is that they are unguarded. They are unguarded. If you look at that, that says, for among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women. They some of them, one, another version just says that they entered into these households. And so there's not a lot of defense in the very beginning of this. There's not a lot of guard up for them. These, these men come in, uh, and it doesn't sound like they have to use a lot of force to get in. And so there's not much, these women aren't guarding very much. They don't have a defense. They let these men walk in. So if you think about that in, in, in your life, like, being careful, and we'll go through the opposite of this. So this is, well, let's go through all these first, and then I'll go through, like, what we should do. So we'll look at what they didn't do, and then we can look at what, what we should do. So they're unguarded. Then the second thing that you see is that it says they are burdened with sin. Another, another version says they were weighed down by sin. They were weighed down by sin. Sin entangles us, and it drags us down. If you don't deal with it, it entangles you more and more and more and drags you down more and more and more if you don't deal with sin. They were not dealing with their sin. They were letting it pile up and pile up and pile up on them. And that added to the, the, them being misled. And then thirdly, they were guided by their emotions. It said they were led by various impulses or led by various passions. That they were led by their emotions. And, and being led by their emotions, they were always learning, but they were never able to arrive to the knowledge of the truth. But they were led by their impulses, their emotions, their desires. You could say they were led by their hearts. They followed the worst advice ever. The worst advice ever is follow your heart. It's another one of those, those phrases. It sounds so good. It sounds so nice. It sounds so pretty. And there's probably like, even like Instagram backgrounds that you could, or Instagram photos or, or backgrounds for your phone that you could probably even have that say follow your heart and has little flowers around it and stuff. Um, I'm sure that, and then you can save that as your screensaver and you see that every day. And you, and you have terrible, terrible advice every day in front of you. When, the, what it should be is like follow your heart and then there's like poison and there's all kinds of fire and just that, I want to make that background, okay? That would be sweet. Because that's more of what it is. Jeremiah 17.9. Jeremiah 17.9 says this. Uh, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? But you're like, I got a good heart. I love people. Um, again, the whole point is don't go off of your emotions. Go off the truth. Jeremiah 17.9 is truth. It's biblical. It's from the Bible. Jeremiah 17.9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? So this doesn't even leave room to say like, the heart is okay sometimes. It says deceitful above all things. So even above the opposition, our hearts are deceitful. Is deceitful, some of the other versions, so we get a full picture of this. The heart is deceitful above all else. It is the most deceitful of all things. It is beyond cure. It is desperately wicked. It is desperately sick and incurable. Who can know it? Who can understand it? You want to follow that? The sick thing that, that is uncurable and and is deceitful above everything else. Above everything else in this world, your heart is the most deceitful. 
Not like you personally, like all of us together, mine too. Um, is the most de- deceitful thing of all. Of all. And, and we lead ourselves into stupid places when we follow it, just like these women in, the, in, this, in these verses. So how do we overcome opposition? If we see, okay, here's what they did, and here's what they did wrong, what, are they, what do we do? So for those same three ports, they didn't, they didn't guard themselves. So guard yourself. Guard your heart specifically. There's scripture for that as well. Proverbs 4.23 says, Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Like that, even that, like that's, that's crazy. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Again, this version here says, Guard your heart above all else. Why? Because it determines the course of your life. Whatever your heart is attached to, you run towards. Good or bad. If your heart is attached to that boy who is a jerk to you, doesn't matter. You don't, you don't see that part. You just run to it. Whatever your heart is attached to, it, you run to. Everything flows from that. It says, that's why it says guard your heart above all else. What does it look like to guard your heart? It means setting up boundaries in your life. Be that with guys in relationships, girls in relationships, that, but, but I also watch what comes into my heart, what comes into my life. I don't just watch and listen to anything and everything, and there's a reason for that. It's not just because I want to follow some rules and look better. It's because I know that those things that are spoken to my heart will drive my life. And there are reasons when you come over to our house on Monday night hangout, and there's somebody that jumps up in front of the screen when some kind of scandalous Victoria's Secret commercial comes on, or, or a half-naked piece of pizza. New commercial, I don't know what's going on there. But we even blocked that one. Okay? You don't know. I don't want any of that in there. I don't, I don't, wanna, I don't want any of that in there. Uh, but the reasons why we do those things and why those things happen is because I'm, we're trying to guard hearts. Why? Because it will term, determine the rest of your life. All these things that are going in, music, TV, all those things, they are telling you something and your heart is believing something. And whatever it believes, you run towards. And so I'm going to guard it. I'm not going to just leave my doors open. Everybody come on in. I'm going to guard it. Guard your hearts. Guard your lives. Second thing, they were talking about sin. Like they just let sin pile up. Flee from sin. There's so many, so many places in Scripture that say flee from sin. It says, it says turn around and run from it. And the best way to free, flee from sin is embrace the forgiveness and the authority over sin given to us in Christ Jesus. If you have put your trust in Christ, what we celebrated on Sunday for Easter is that he died and he didn't just die, he rose from the dead. And so he conquered sin and death forever for everybody. And then if I believe in that and I trust in that, that I live my life for that, that, that what that means is that I am completely free from sin that it no longer has power to entangle me unless I give it that power. He has forgiven us completely and set us free from sin and shame. Believe that. Believe that to the point where it causes you to live that. Don't let sin weigh you down. Don't believe the lie that it has to control you. It doesn't. If you have put your trust in Christ, that's what he paid 
for. That's why he died. He died so that we could be free from it, and yet we crawl back to it like it has power over us still. Galatians 4.9 puts it this way. It says, so, that, so now that you know God, or should I say that, that God knows you, so now that you have believed in Christ, why do you want to go back again and become slaves once more to the weak and useless spiritual principles of this world? So these guys in Galatians, they were, they were people that were, were Jews and they were following all the Jewish customs of sacrifices and, and only eating this thing and not eating this thing. And so when Paul's talking to them, what these guys are doing is they believed in Christ, they trusted in Christ for their forgiveness, for everything. And they said, well, Christ, you are good, but I'm also going to do these things just in case. Like, I'm going to keep doing these sacrifices. I'm going to only eat this and not eat that. And he's saying, like, why are you crawling back to slavery when Christ died for you so you could just say, I can eat whatever the heck I want. I can eat pig. I can eat Twinkies. I can eat whatever I want. So when your mom's like, you have to only eat this, you're like, Danny was preaching tonight. He said, I can eat whatever I want because Jesus died on the cross. I mean, that's a way to twist scripture and use it for your own good. Maybe you shouldn't do that. Uh, point being that we are free from sin if we are tr have trusted in Christ, and we don't have to be controlled by it. The last thing, and this is the most important, because you can't flee from sin and you can't guard your heart if you don't know this one. Be led by the truth and not your emotions. Please, please write that down, tattoo that on your forehead backwards so when you look at it in the mirror, it's actually the right way. Um, just so you know it all the time. Be led by the truth and not your emotions. Your heart takes you stupid places, so don't follow your heart because people tell you that. When they tell you that, tell them that's horrible advice and they need to stop giving it to you or to anybody else, but in a loving way. Uh, don't let your emotions lead you. Be led by the truth. In order to be led by it, you have to know it. In order to be led by the truth, you have to know the truth. If you don't know it, you're never going to be led by it. And so you may desire all you want to be led by the truth, but if you don't ever take any time to know the truth, you won't be led by it. You may really in your heart say like, God, I want to live for you and I want to follow the truth and I want to be led by the truth. I don't want to be led by my heart anymore because it's taken me so many stupid places. But if you never get time and never make time to get into scripture and study it and know it, then you will never be led by it. It is not enough for me to speak truth to you. It's not enough for Lauren to speak truth to you, to any of your leaders to speak truth to you. That is great, and, that, and, and it's helpful, but it's not enough for you to be led by it just by us speaking it to you. You have to know it yourself. This world, false teachers, Satan, the opposition, they will try to attack you, and you know the number one way that they, they attack you is lies. The number one way that you are attacked in your life by Satan, by the world, by sin, by opposition is lies. Behind every sin that you commit, behind everything that you do that's opposing God, you believe a lie over the truth. You believe the lie that God will never give you more than you can handle. You believe the lie that, that you should follow your heart. And when we believe lies, it takes us stupid places and painful places. Best way to combat that? Truth. And knowing the truth. Because then when lies come into my life and I know the truth, then I can see those as lies and I can laugh at those. And so those lies that come into my life and tell me I'm worthless and tell me I'm not worth anything and then I should be ashamed of everything and I should be ashamed of this and ashamed of that, then I know the truth that is by trusting in Christ, I am perfect in the sight of God because Christ look, God looks at, at Christ, he looks at everything he's done 
And that has paid for everything, that, 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 everything, every sin that I've committed, past, present, future. It's paid for it all. It wasn't like he died and then we have to do some other things in order to help pay for that. That mocks his, his death and what he's done. That says that he's not enough. He is enough, he is more than enough. Don't follow your heart. Follow the truth of the gospel every day. Again, if you don't know the truth, if you're not being led by the truth, then you can't flee from sin because you're not really sure what's, what I can do and what I can't do or what's good for me and what's not. You can't really guard your heart because I don't even know what I'm trying to guard. If you, it, it all starts with that, like knowing the truth. Knowing how valuable God made you. Because once you see how valuable you are and how much God made you, that he, he made you in, in his image, as it says in Genesis, that's how we were originally made, in his image. The only thing in creation made in his image is people. And so there's incredible value in all of us. So much so that when things got screwed up and Adam and Eve chose to rebel against God and there's this time of rebellion for, 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 until Christ comes back, Christ paid for our sin so that we could have a way back to God. So that you are important enough that he would die for you. He died so that God would get more glory through us, but he's willing to die for you. If you don't understand that, if you don't, like, if you see that and you get that and you understand that, then you begin to see how valuable you really are and how much you are really worth. And when you know how much you are really worth, you will guard against things that are worthless or guard against people that are trying to tell you that you are not worth anything or guard against the people that don't, value you you will guard your heart against those things when you know the truth for so long I was a person that, that had this appearance of godliness I went to church I went, I went to a private Catholic school I went to church all the time I confessed sin to a priest. I prayed prayers. I did all those things. But it was just an appearance of godliness. I had no idea who Jesus was. I had no idea what he did for me. Like I even had heard that before. I heard he died on the cross. I heard all those things. And it wasn't until college and, and when I, when I finally got it, when I understood the truth, when I understood what Jesus did and why he died and what that means and what that means for my life. And so, I don't tell you all these things like because I'm a person who has it all together. I tell you because I was so screwed up and I'm still so screwed up apart from Christ. And I don't know, I, di I didn't know the truth. For so long, I didn't know the truth. I didn't know anything about the Bible. I didn't spend time in it. My sister can tell you. She's seen more of my life, seen all my life before Christ was a part of it. She's seen really ugly things. And it's not because I'm just good and I have my act together now. It's because Christ, and I understand who he is, and I understood how much, he, how much I need him. 
And when I finally understood that, I understood how important the truth was, how important the truth is. Uh, man, he's a God that loves us so much. And he just wants us to get it so that we would stop wasting our time with things that don't matter and start living for things that he created us for. He is so good. And, uh, and I was thinking even when, when we were singing, we never sung that hymn, the last song that we sang. We never sung that hymn in here before, uh, Because He Lives. But like I had this flashback to a little church that my dad went to. And uh, that my dad would take me and, and, my, and my sisters, and we'd go to church with him sometimes because he went to a different church than my mom did. And uh, we go to his church, and I remember him like singing that song with his hand raised and, and tears coming down his eyes. Uh, I'm sure my sister was right there next to me. Uh, and I, did, I had no idea what was going on in his heart at that time, but now I get it. And it's so cool that, we, like, that that song was played tonight, and my sister's here, and, and I know she's heard that song in church with my dad before too. And uh, it's not like we planned that. It's just God being gracious and good and doing things. Um, but, man, just, when you will face opposition in life, especially if you're living for Christ, but it all starts in, in knowing the truth and living that truth out. And again, you can't live it out if you don't know it. And so, start there. If you want to know how to study the Bible, if you want to know the truth more, talk to your leaders. That's why we're here. If we can help you in that, we, we will. But we can't do it for you. You have to make time for it. And then your heart will start chasing that. Because Christ is far better than anything else in this life. And the more you get to know him, the more you know who he is, the more you will run after that because he is so much better than anything else this life has to offer. And your life and your relationship with him will take off because he will capture your heart and take it where it was meant to be 